0: Welcome to the latest episode of Schnepp's Connects. Today, I have a great guest, Gary Terranoni, who is president and CEO of the Brooklyn Hospital Center. He oversees an organization that's honoring its more than 175 years of history in downtown Brooklyn, while it works to position itself as a model of an independent community health care provider for the one million people, just one million people in North and Central Brooklyn alone. During his tenure, he has overseen important initiatives, including significant improvements in quality standards, a center for critical care services, which was very instrumental during the response of COVID-19, the selling of the outdated Maynard building, which allowed faculty practices to move to a brand new state-of-the-art physicians pavilion, and the opening of the Brooklyn Cancer Center. So, Gary, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you, Josh.
0: I feel everybody appreciated their doctors, but I, I certainly think that the pandemic brought about a renewed appreciation for people's doctors, nurses, and and healthcare facilities. So I would love for you just to talk about how the team came together during such a difficult time.
1: Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I kind of relate it to uh, the military, right? For those that are in the military. One of the reasons, like, you know, if you're called to service, you go, right, if something happens. So I kind of correlated that, you know, with really, you know, those of us that have been in healthcare, particularly a number of years. I mean, you know, we know uh, when something like the pandemic happens, we're really called to duty. So it was almost a very smooth transition, believe it or not. We were the first hospital, I believe, in the marketplace, including New York City, to put up a tent. For example, outside the emergency department. Mm-hmm. And the purpose there was to screen and test, you know, um, our potential patients and not allowing them to come within the hospital. Because then at that point, there was issues with spreading the disease. But again, this is what we do for a living. This is what we get paid for. And, you know, to a T, tea, my team and really the whole hospital just met the challenge. Just They, they just rose above it all. And it was just an expectation. You know, I've, I know that some places like people did not come in, you know, they work from home, whatever, mm-hmm. kind of tough to do when you run a hospital. Right. So I, I could vouch that we were here every day. I don't think any of us really from March 2020 when it all started, but I don't think it was months that went by before anybody was even able to take a vacation day, including administration, including you know, the physicians, obviously, the nurses, everyone. And so that's kind of what we did. I could say that we we really rose to the occasion here at the Brooklyn Hospital Center.
0: Well, I certainly commend you for it. I, I can imagine the team being pushed to the limits. You know, one thing I would love for you to share is I feel like with any large organization, you know, keeping the morale of your team is always a big challenge of leadership. And I'm just curious if you could share. Any thoughts that you have in terms of what you were able to do with your team under such complicated difficult circumstances? Is there anything you could share in terms of just your thought process on how you, you know, communicated or worked to to keep your team thriving?
1: Yeah, well actually yeah, what I said previously has something to do with that, right? we were all here. So it wasn't like them and us or those that were in the hospital and those that stayed home. So I think from a a leadership perspective, it was important, for example, that I was here every day, I was visible, I was down in the ED, I was outside by the tent. Uh, So I think it was important for everyone in the organization to see that. And because it's up to, let's say the leader, Uh, to hopefully set the example. And I think that alone had a lot to do with the morale. And and I'd say that again, for the leadership team or the management team, they were all here. So their respective teams were able to see that. And uh, we were in the fight as as much as anyone else. So I think that was really important. So any of the leaders within the organization really did step up. So I think From a morale perspective, that's really important. Obviously, we reinforced as much as we could with the people here, you know, thanking them for all their efforts. And, you know, at the time, you're kind of in the middle of it. So there's really not much that you can do. We did the best we could. We had like a war room set up uh, within the administrative suite. We had, you know, people were, were pulled in from different departments to man the phones, to evaluate resources, to move things around as needed including staffing. Uh, we had to close some services, particularly the inventory services. We needed that staff in the main hospital. So they were very accommodating for that. So I, I think, you know, again, morale is important. I think being part of the team and showing people that were here with them, I think was really important for, uh, for the organization.
0: Going back to the military, it's like they say the first basic thing is make your bed in the morning. It's like showing up to work, right?
1: There you go, right? And and it's interesting. I don't think any of us thought any differently. You know, when I hear, you know, I guess you know people like did work from home or this or that, and I guess maybe even from an administrative perspective, some of us theoretically could have done that, but we never came to mind. You know, because uh, to me, it was being part. Of the battle and being part of the team, and in my case, hopefully leading the organization through what we went through, I'm fortunate because I have a very great team of people mm-hmm. that work for me and with me, and some of which I've known for years. Others, you know, uh, were new when I got here to me, but everyone really pulled together. Josh, it was it was kind of an amazing, amazing story to see.
0: You know, I live in Brooklyn, and our office is in downtown Brooklyn. And for people that might not be you know, so familiar, you're really, you know, in the heart of like the intersection of a lot of different neighborhoods, huge population culturally. And I feel like also, you know, just um, economically very diverse because you have everything from housing projects up to huge new towers being built, these kind of multimillion dollar condominiums that are going up 80 stories. So how critical is it that, you know, that you are funded properly, because I think funding is very important for people to understand with with city hospitals that not just the current circumstances, but really just preparing for the future.
1: Right. And that, that's a good point. You know, we are traditionally, I guess, for a number of years, we would be considered a safety net institution. Usually the definition is, let's say, if you're 35% or more of, of Medicaid, we're actually about 50% of our revenue is Medicaid. So clearly that has been uh, the history of the organization for a while. Uh, unfortunately, with Medicaid and the state has recently come to the aid of safety nets, uh, particularly a few in Brooklyn, but up until recently, we were getting in the low 60% range of cost to provide care for those Medicaid patients. And that's, you can't exist, right? Any business, if you're not at least able to recover your cost in business, you won't be around long. Unfortunately then for healthcare, we have a limited ability to negotiate those rates. For example, fee-for-service Medicaid or even managed Medicaid generally is government-directed or government-funded. So you, you, you really are limited to some degree of what you can do. In a normal business, you might say, okay, if your costs go up, we can raise rates or raise what we charge and we balance the books. Unfortunately for safety nets, that's not been possible. So we had gone, I think over 10 years, maybe 10 to 12 years in New York without an increase in the Medicaid rates. Uh, so for example, if 50% of your business is Medicaid and you're not getting increases for over 10 years, you can imagine you know, what that does to an organization and keep in mind every year, you know, we do provide cost of living increases for most of our employees, so we're spending millions a year uh, based on cost of living increases in benefits, obviously inflation, supplies, whatever it might be. So it, it is critical. However, you you bring up a good point about you know we are downtown Brooklyn, which is going through somewhat of a renaissance. Yeah. So so the way we look at it is it'd be great to get commercial insurance in here, and because what happens is the more commercial insurance you get, it cross subsidizes. You know the lower reimbursement so we are attempting given our location trying to attract and you mentioned the physicians pavilion that's about a block away that's a good example where we were in an old building behind the hospital our faculty practice which really wasn't a practical building it wasn't efficient wasn't accommodating so we were able to move our entire faculty practice to a new location State of the art, beautiful. I think we won some awards, the architect. And what a difference, right? I think one of my proudest moments is when someone had told me, you know, the people that are sitting in in these new offices and the same people that we've been treating for years kind of sit up a little taller. You know, they feel better about themselves, they feel better about the organization. So that's kind of where we're at now. With regard to the reimbursement, the state has recently come through for certain safety nets. Uh, I believe they set a criteria of like 37% or more. We are now eligible for an enhanced Medicaid rate uh, in combination with CMS in Washington and the state. Um, We think that's going to go a long way to get us back to some level of viability as an organization. So we're very appreciative of both the state and the federal government for doing that um and so uh you know better late than never and so we're hoping that looking forward it's going to present a different picture to us in terms of reliability and hopefully give us more ability to improve facilities to rebuild some of the campus and with the idea of not only maintaining our current patient base but maybe attracting some of the, the new players in the market as you said downtown is is really kind of changing so we want to benefit like from both worlds
0: well it's interesting where you talked about how your doctors gave feedback of being in these new facilities which i'm sure is a major advantage to to be in new facilities but i think also for the public like perception a lot of times becomes reality in terms of where they want to go so you know, I think you've done a great job. And how many years have you been at the at the helm now?
1: Yeah, it's over six years now. You know, I was I was running a a three hospital system in South Jersey. I was recruited up a little over six years ago, and uh, but it's been great. You know, one of the reasons I came. You know, we'll be I think we're 177 years old. We're the oldest hospital in Brooklyn. We were here before the Brooklyn Bridge. So <laughs> in coming here towards the latter part of my career, having worked at some very big successful systems it really meant a lot to me to really take a safety net institution and keep it viable for the next 175. And I kind of knew about the, the market changing and there's a lot of things that really were attractive to me. And probably the most important was to do something that I could be personally proud of and reflective of the values that I have that were instilled in me, like for example, by my parents, you know, and that was really giving back to the community and helping an organization like ours, and it just had everything that really I was looking for. And of course, New York and Brooklyn is is just so exciting, you know, to be here. So that's that's why I'm here.
0: Well, we talked about a few of the accomplishments. I mean, you really have accomplished a lot in, in a short period of time. Besides the COVID, you know, the the services that you provide during COVID, what what have you been most proud of so far? I'm really What is your vision going forward that you would really like to accomplish in in the long term?
1: Yeah, probably one of the most important things when I first came is uh, we didn't have much of a safety and quality department, and it was kind of a hybrid part of uh, the family medicine practice. So what I did was I created a quality and safety department and we staffed it. I took, at the time, who was my chair of family medicine, and I made her the chief of quality so in a rather short period of time, I think it was less than three years, there's a, an association called LeapFrog, which is a national organization that monitors safety and they actually grade you on that. So I was I started in November of 15 and I think the fall grade came out, it was an F. So we were an F, the worst mm-hmm. we could be. So I set about to build a department and in less than three years, we went from an F to an A. Amazing. So literally we were, there was only two A's, in the entire New York City marketplace, we were one of those. And okay. we have continued to maintain a high level of safety and quality. We uh, are still uh, one of the highest in, in, in the marketplace. Um, and, and so that I would tell you is probably, you know, in my feeling, like in any business, if you can't do your business well, then how are you going to be successful long term? So our business is healthcare. If you can't provide that in a safe, quality oriented setting, then what are we doing? Right. So it was important for me to get that right to begin with. And now we have a whole a structure in place to make sure that we maintain those levels. And we we do. We have like now our hospital-acquired conditions and infections are almost down to zero. So we we've really done a lot to improve the safety and the quality so that when you know if you come into the Brooklyn Hospital, we know that you're going to be treated well and, and in a safe and a quality uh, fashion. Uh, In line with that, uh, you know, I did a lot when I first came, there was a number of chair positions that were open. I think it was surgery, medicine. So I was able to recruit some key physicians in those areas that, for example, one of the the chair of medicine, Dr. James Gasparino was one of the top critical care doctors in the country. Mm -hmm. Knowing that we didn't have a great department, so to speak, We did that early on, and who knew we were going to get COVID, right? So it really made a big difference having built that intensivist program than when COVID hit, you know, we were ready, so to speak. On the surgical side, I hired a woman from Montefiore. Her expertise is bariatric surgery, but she's a great general surgeon, and her name is Pratiba Vermia and she's done terrific. We've done, we've really raised the game, Josh, in surgery and medicine. We did it at a good time, particularly with COVID then hitting us, but now we're maintaining that and we continue. Uh, We Recently, about a year and a half ago, we partnered with New York Cancer and Blood Services, which is one of the preeminent cancer services physician groups in the area. So it's been about a year and a half. We've done tremendously. We're getting ready to open within a month or two a brand new outpatient cancer center about two blocks away on Myrtle. So, again, a reflection of what we're trying to do to raise the game, not only from a safety and quality perspective, really from a patient experience perspective. One of the things New York Cancer brings is not only their focus on quality, but they're very keen on patient experience. And we are, too. And we're trying to continually improve that area. So you know, the beat goes on. And uh, so, so far, so good. And uh, let's hope that with COVID that now is diminishing. Unfortunately, I think it might become part of everyday life to some degree, maybe we'll get yearly vaccines or something. But I I clearly see it doesn't seem to be as deadly as it was of what we saw in, in 2020. And maybe it becomes something like the flu going forward. But that's that's what our hope is.
0: Well, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, I don't think I could have let you go without asking about the status because that's really on everyone's mind. I think, you know, maybe one question I'll ask you, because I feel like a lot of people are confused at this point, is whether or not they should be wearing masks.
1: You know, we still wear them, you know, in the hospital setting as we walk around. So maybe, you know, they might be more relevant in that setting. I think that the advice is kind of mixed, uh, you know, uh, depending on the mask that you're wearing. I've even gone into some physician offices, and they don't like that if you're wearing the cloth mask, for example, they Mm -hmm. they, they say they're not effective. So you have what's more of like would be a surgical mask or an NK95 mask. Clearly, in a healthcare setting, we continue to have those. I'm not so sure because most of us today are vaccinated and boosted. Uh, So I'm not sure if it's as effective as it maybe would have been at the height of COVID but we've come a long way in terms of medications and then the fact that you know either you've had it and you're more immune or you've had the vaccines and you're boosted i would say would probably be less impactful like if you were wearing the mask that would probably be my opinion but we're still overly cautious in the healthcare setting sure. and we continue to wear the mask
0: now, are you still um, providing the vaccine and are the antiviral pills that they talk about available? Should people um, test positive?
1: Yeah, I believe they are. I think they have enhanced some of the medications. We we are continuing to provide the vaccines, including the boosters. And now, as you probably know, if 50 and over can get boosted a second time. So some of the information that I've read, it's a little bit mixed in terms of whether you need that second booster or not. But if you feel comfortable in getting it, uh, then that's fine. We do give that. So yes, we've given thousands and thousands of the vaccine to the community. And now we're doing it, you know, of course, uh, it was approved to do it in in the younger children. So we're making that available. And I do believe there are other medications now on the market. uh, And I think you'll continue to see the development of that. I, I just read something today from one of the big uh, pharmaceutical companies that they continue to enhance their products. So I think you're going to see more and more of that. And like I said, I think at some point it's most of the the population's going to be immune from having COVID in one form or the other, or or you're going to be protected from the vaccines and the boosters. And they'll, I believe they'll continue to get more, better and better and more effective as they continually you know test and bring bring more of these items to market.
0: Well, listen, we've certainly come a long way and I, and I have to personally just thank you and your team as a Brooklyn resident as like a New York City cheerleader. I mean, you guys have been, you know, a bedrock of the community and I think people should really understand how you've elevated the level of services at the Brooklyn Hospital Center and and made it, you know, a really important and key part of the community.
1: Well, hopefully Josh that you you hate to see it through something like COVID, but I think the fact that we did what we did, it did draw attention to us, which in a way was a good thing because you know we're one of the only remaining independent community hospitals that exist in the New York marketplace. And so I think if anything, we were hopeful that we demonstrated the value of what an independent community hospital would be. And uh, we're affiliated with Sinai, and we really uh, very much appreciate that affiliation to be associated with the world-class institution. So that's great. But the fact that we, you know, we can do that, and plus, you know, uh, partner uh, with them and provide that level of tertiary care if needed, but at the same time, really enhance the services that we provide to the community, knowing that we'll be here for another 175 years or so that's really what it's all about. And uh, I appreciate you, you know, talking to me today and giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit about the Brooklyn Hospital Center. And uh, I'm hoping that more and more people value the hospital and what we bring to the table. The last thing I will just tell you, we just received uh, one of the largest grants from Congress, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, Senator Schumer, Gillibrand, and Hakeem Jeffries, who was born at this hospital, Hakeem. Mm -hmm. We had a presentation, I think a week ago, Sunday, where we received $9.2 million in capital Mm -hmm. grant monies to finish the completion of what would be the new emergency department renovation and some other critical capital that we need. And as a safety net hospital, we just don't have that money. So I think the fact that Senator Schumer, Gillibrand, Hakeem, they recognize uh, the importance of this institution to this community by the awarding of that grant. You know, it's, it's just really important, along with what you're doing today and talking to us and uh, g- giving us an opportunity to tell, tell you what we do as an organization.
0: Well, I'm so happy that that money found its way to you. And I know it'll be put to good use, Gary. And I greatly appreciate your time. I know you're busy taking care of a lot of people over there. And, and uh, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Josh, for the opportunity.
0: Have a great day.
1: All right. My best. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Schneps Connects podcast. Make sure to listen to this episode and many others at podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream us on any of your favorite podcast networks.